Good morning. Good morning. Got a, got a, a question for you. Why are you here? <laughs> you ever think about that? Like, why are you here? Um, and that's not an attacking question. It's just a question that I want you to really give a moment and just think about for just a second. It does me good to ask myself that question occasionally because if I'm honest, there are many times I show up on a Sunday morning and my reason for being here is obligation. Not in the sense of what some of you might think a job, but just an obligation that I feel like I should be. Um, sometimes we might show up and, you know, I mean, our friends are here. And so we want to come see our friends or sometimes we're here because, you know, I don't know, we like the music or uh, it's maybe just the routine. It is what you do on Sunday morning. You get coffee, you go to church. I mean, it's just your routine. I don't know. Maybe, maybe some of you, you know, I see Pastor Paul down here. Maybe some of you thought Paul was going to be preaching this morning and you like the way Paul talks. And so you wanted to be here. Uh, I don't know, maybe some of you thought Mike was going to be here and, you know, you like the way Mike whispers to you, right? Uh, I, don't, I don't know. Um, maybe there, were, or there are two of you who knew I was preaching and you just like to try to discern fragmented sentences and put them into complete thoughts. I, I, really, I really, I'm not sure why you are here. Um, there are probably some of you, a few of you who are here just... None of those things would matter because you're here to worship the one true God. And there's some of you who are probably here because you want to grow and you want to learn. And it wouldn't matter if I was hard to follow or who was preaching or if it was even a little boring and not so entertaining. You're going to dive in and pursue because you came here to hear the word of God. Now, the hard part about answering that question is we kind of deceive ourselves, right? I mean, I, I do. I, I just do. Sometimes I kind of deceive myself. And one of the things that's just true about such a simple question is you can't really say, I am a Christian because I wanted to be at church today for this reason. or what. You, you wouldn't be able to have assurance of your salvation by the way you answered that question. We, we know that's true. However, there's this odd thing as we begin to read through the whole of Scripture, we realize that it is a collection, essentially, of all those things that in and of themselves would not say we are a Christian that affirms the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. They are the fruits of the sanctification that is happening, uh, the work of the Holy Spirit to conform us more into the image of Jesus at work in us that gives us this assurance. You ever... You ever just miss, some of you are older in the room, if you're younger, just remember this maybe and it'll, it'll hit one day. Do you, you can just miss the terminology of your adolescent years? I, I miss terms that was used like in the 80s and 90s. One of my favorite terms is the term poser. I looked at somebody the other day, I said, don't be a poser. And they just stared at me like I was speaking another language. And it hurt me in my soul. That's such a good term, right? I love that term. And so the term poser, it just means to be fake, to be something and pursue something that's really not true to who you are. 1 John is a book that exposes the poser's and not in a mean-spirited way, but as John himself says, so that you might not sin, so that you might not fall away, so that you might know what it means to be an authentic, real 
follower of Jesus. But it deals with the posers. And one of the things I remember back about like middle school and high school about the posers, no one ever said, I want to be a poser. And not only that, no one ever thought they were a poser. They were deceived. They just deceived themselves. They were distracted, maybe just ignorant. They were just unaware. They didn't even know who they were, not the less what they were trying to be. Right? 1 John deals with all of this, and it really asks us, are we really a Jesus follower? And so there's a temptation for each one of you in the room and myself to just go, oh, that's me. This is for someone else. And I want to challenge you over the next few weeks as we continue to read and study through 1 John. If you've been in church since you were a baby, if you prayed a prayer when you were 12, if you've memorized Psalm 23, I don't want you just to so simply say, this is for someone else. This is speaking to someone else. I want you to say, could this be for me? I think there's health in us asking that question. And John's going to lead us to do so. Chapter 1, verse 5. John writes, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you. That God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not only for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. We find our big truth this morning in verse 5. Verse 5, one more time, it says, This is the message we have heard from him, him being Jesus, and proclaimed to you. John's saying, we've heard a message from Jesus, and now we're sharing it with you. As they share it with you, John is being an ambassador. He has been reconciled to Jesus. He's been made right. He's been saved and redeemed. He follows Jesus now, and now he carries that message. And he says, we proclaim to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. That's our big truth. God is light, and darkness can have no place, no place in his presence. Now, when we see light in Scripture, it's really used throughout the entire Bible. 
It's in so many different word pictures in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And it's very common in our scriptures to see God as referenced as light. Again, Old Testament and New is throughout. And the truth is there's a little bit of nuance of difference in, in some of these examples as they happen. But at the central focus in all of these is a picture of what is pure, true revelation. God making himself known, his presence. Pure, true revelation. And when John uses light, he, he uses it to describe this, this true revelation of God's holiness, his righteousness, his presence, his very existence and being. And so when John says God is light, he's, he's speaking to the very being and presence of God as he is being truly revealed to man. See, I think one of the things that we get wrong sometimes, this is just this is a, a, a freebie, okay? It's just over here on the side. One of the things we get wrong sometimes is we like to think God is almost mean because why doesn't he just, you know, just let our sin go? Why can the sinner not come into the presence of God? We see it as if God is just sitting there rejecting the sinner. I don't like you, you can't come in. And I think sometimes that viewpoint begins to circle in our minds, but what I need you to come back and understand is we cannot survive the presence of God in our sin. We cannot withstand it. We cannot bear his holiness, his righteousness, his presence any more than you can stand to bear to walk on the surface of the sun. You cannot bear it. His glory, his honor, his very character so exposes our sin, it destroys us in our sin. We cannot bear it apart from repentance and saving faith in Jesus, in his righteousness. And we cannot repent, we cannot turn to Jesus from the darkness that we live in that is us. We cannot turn to him unless he is revealed, unless he makes himself known. And so in this way, we see God as light. God is light. It's a New Testament picture of gospel transformation, of this amazing thing of going from darkness to light. And if you're here, this is probably the most important part of our message this morning, is I want you to capture this picture of the gospel. It's a beautiful word picture. That in our sin, we were in complete darkness. No hope, no direction, lost, lost, separated from God, separated from light. And through the word, 
the revelation of God made known, taking on flesh through the word that became flesh, God himself in his son Jesus, taking form and coming here. God reveals himself. He makes himself known and shines his light among men. That in faith we might turn from the darkness. We might repent. In saving faith. And walk in his light, his righteousness. That is the picture of the gospel. That's how John, by the way, begins his gospel. If you remember back, John chapter 1, verse 1, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word, Jesus, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him not anything made was made. Now check out verse 4. See the picture. In him was life, and Jesus is life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. See, John uses light to contrast God's presence, God's presence in the gospel with man's separation and sin. Do you see that? God is light, is the, the picture of him in his revelation and him in his presence in our lives. And the contrast between the darkness that is our sin that separates us from him. See, look, if you're trying to follow along, I, I could have just got up and I, honestly this morning I could, I could just make this sermon a lot lighter and a lot simpler and we could just say, hey, look, light is good, darkness is bad. And we could all feel good about it. We could go back and say, I got it, right? But the truth is, I mean, a child gets that. And if you've been in the faith for 20 years, I want you to know more than that. I want you to see a deeper picture than that. I want it to, to, to really saturate your mind. I want you to follow what John is chasing here. It's this, it impacts itself in so many ways. I mean, even as we understand light, we understand light is the presence of a thing. Darkness is the absence of a thing. So when we see God, we see God is absolutely true, true light, true revelation. And in him there is no darkness of error. God is absolutely pure light, pure revelation. And in him, there is no darkness of evil. See, in God, he is absolutely all light. This one's hard for us. He is all light. And there is no darkness of inadequacy. He is sufficient. His righteousness is full. He does not need you to add light to the room. He is all of the light. And so our big truth, what I want you to see in this is our big truth that God is light and there's no darkness in his presence. I want you to see how that exposes 
the poser. I want you to see how that exposes the, the, the fake from the real. That's really important as we read through 1 John. Because a real fellowship with God walks in his light. And a fake fellowship with God still pursues and walks in darkness. And if this is starting to make you a little uneasy, if it starts to kind of scare us a little bit, the truth is I think it should. I just think it should. I think it it should just mess with us a little bit because what we're really saying is who's truly in God and who's not? Who's a real disciple of Jesus and who's a poser? Whose relationship with God is fake? And remember, they're self-deceived. They think it is real, but it's not. They're counting on something that is counterfeit. And the truth is, I think for many of us, self-deception for us is our starting point. Because most of you in this room grew up in a Christianized culture where Christianity is the religion you were born into. It's what your parents did and their grandparents did and it's what's around you. One of the things I see when I travel the world is I, I see different people who were born into different religions within different cultures where something other than Christianity is the majority religion around them. And they grow up and their parents were Hindus and their grandparents were Hindus. And so if you ask them, what do you believe? They're going to say, I'm a Hindu. You know, want to know something? They, they don't really, they haven't read all the Hindu books. They haven't studied it. They don't, they don't do everything kind of perfect in it. They don't even know. And the truth is, they don't deeply pursue it. They just do it because that's what they were born into. That's what they know and that's what they understand and they just go. There is such a danger for us that born into such a setting, there is an idea and a notion of Jesus that is fake, that we're just born into. And I think it's fair for us to ask ourselves the question, could it be me? Could I be the one who is unaware that the structures and the thoughts and the practices that I have in my mind are fake? That the relationship I cling to is not a real relationship with Jesus. And I think that should be a little scary. I think that should be a little uneasy. But I think it's a fair question. And I know culturally we've drifted away from kind of asking that question. And we, we talk so much about our freedom and our security. And all that is good. But I want you to know it's a question that was asked throughout Scripture. I mean, Paul asked the Philippians, he says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, in other words, you're in the church, he's talking to the church, Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He's, he's talking to the church, there's health in this. Many times I'm asked by people in the church, how many people do you think come to the church who 
They come on a regular basis. They may even be members in the sense that they've signed up, gone through classes. They're there. They serve. But in fact, they're not genuine Christians. By the way, we're going to talk about that behind the message Wednesday night. If you don't have anything going Wednesday night, if you have questions about eternal security and what that looks like, I mean, I would challenge you, come hang out with uh, me, some of our other elders are going to be there. We're going to talk through that question, 6.30, Wednesday night, behind the message, right downstairs. But I'm asked that, and the truth is, I don't know how to answer that. I can't, I can't see your heart. I can't discern those things. I don't know how. What I do know is when Jesus is essentially asked that question, his answer is alarming. His answer was many. Not a few. Many. Jesus, and you know, we go back to the Sermon on the Mount. In the Sermon on the Mount, we we like to think of it as the Beatitudes and this really encouraging thing. We like to see Jesus in all the kind of the object lessons, but we forget just how forward Jesus was in his teaching. And that Sermon on the Mount ends with what I think is the scariest section in all of Scripture. He says in Matthew 7, uh, beginning verse 15 through 20, he says, You'll know my disciples by their fruits. By their fruits. You'll be able to measure this in them. And then he goes on, and in verse 21, Jesus says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do mighty works in your name? Here's what I want you to catch. They're self-deceived. They think. They think what they have is real. They're pursuing this. And Jesus responds and says, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. You workers of lawlessness. And he closes his sermon by giving an illustration of a foolish man who built his house on the sand only to have it destroyed. That's heavy. That is so heavy. And I think it's important for us to just pause for a moment on a regular basis and just make sure to ask and to search ourselves and say, is Jesus talking about me? Is he talking about me? Am I a true disciple? John is going to unpack so much of this to help us see how to better discern such a question. And so we're going to see some big ideas, some implications that are going to begin to come out of this big truth that God is light and no darkness is found in him. The first one, Jesus' followers walk in his light. Jesus' followers walk in his light. Verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with him, the way we say that at Tri-Cities, if we say we abide in him, if we say we abide in Jesus, While we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. 
But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So real quick, right off the bat, we got, we got, to, we got to make sure we address something. John is not speaking to perfection or sinlessness. He's not. I mean, we know that from the whole of Scripture, but we also know that from what he himself says in verse 7. He says, while we walk in the light, while we walk in the light, Jesus cleanses us from all sin, present implied, future implied, not past. While we walk, we sin, and Jesus cleanses our sin. So what, one of the takeaways we got to make from that is the, the charge here to walk in the light is not to walk perfectly. It's not to be perfect. It's not to be sinless. See, catch this, because this is really important. We walk in the light, but we are not the light. That makes sense? We walk in the righteousness of Christ, but we are not the righteousness. He is the righteousness. And so the light refers to God, his holiness, his righteousness. So, so what is John saying? When he, what does he mean when he says walk in the light? Let's, let's catch the opposite first. To walk in the darkness is to pursue the world. It's to walk away from the light. If you imagine, it doesn't play out quite like this. It's a bad example, but it'll help. It's simple enough. Imagine complete darkness and a massive spotlight. Are you walking toward the darkness or toward the light. The darkness is the things of the world. It is that which is passing away. John himself kind of describes this and defines it this way in the next chapter. In chapter 2, verse 8, John says, the darkness is passing away. The sin, the world, all those illusions of meaning, all those things we chase that don't matter, that aren't eternal, that aren't wrapped up in who Christ is and his kingdom, all of that is passing away. And so the person who walks in darkness is pursuing the things that are passing away, the things of the world, the things apart from the kingdom of God, the things apart from Christ's likeness. But the person who walks in the light, they are not ignorant or blind they can see and so they see the meaninglessness of all the things that is in the dark because now it is exposed and they see the meaning the purpose in Christ and they walk they long they pursue Christ likeness they are illuminated and wise by the revelation of the light and they pursue the light you say what does that look like oh hear me in this it looks like a life of repentance you want to know what I think best summarizes what Christian faith looks like in the New Testament it's that a life of repentance the constant desire and pursuit embedded from the Holy Spirit in us that causes us to turn again and again away from the darkness 
to turn from the darkness and turn to the light. That is the work of the Holy Spirit in us. Walking in the light is a life of repentance. Now, church, listen to me. Repentance does not happen one time at conversion. If that's what you're counting on, a memory of a decision that was made years ago, you need to know that is nowhere in Scripture held is how we have security and assurance of our faith. That's not there. Assurance and security in the faith is described again and again as those who walk in repentance. Yes, it has a beginning moment. There is a moment of conversion, but the assurance is not limited to our memory or our discernment. The assurance is the work of the Holy Spirit in us that is conforming us more and more into the image of Christ that causes us to repent from the darkness and turn and walk in the light more and more, day over day, month over month, year over year. Not on our own righteousness or in our own works, but because of the work of God in us, we get to see that. This beautiful picture, a theologian described it and said it this way, If in God, his own light, he shines forth as a being of infinite worth, then he is the star of glory that we were made to admire and cherish. If God opens the eyes of our hearts to see all of that, then our desires are captured by the surpassing glory of God over everything that the world has to offer. And we walk in the light as he is the light. Jesus said it this way, I am the light of the world and whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life he says this in John chapter 8 he goes on right after that and it says the scriptures say many believed and then he looked at those who believed and he told them if you abide in my word you are my true disciples he qualified it in this exact same thing Paul describes it this way to the Ephesians in verse 8 chapter 5 for at one time you were in darkness but now you are in the light of Now you're in the light of the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. How can you be set free? How can you be set free? Walk in the light. It's true. It's there. 1 John Chapter 2, verse 11, a little bit, we're going to get there. It says, the one who walks in the darkness does not know where he's going. Because the darkness has blinded his eyes, but the light has exposed us to truth. And that's our second big idea, that Jesus' followers walk in his truth. Verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Church, listen, walking in the truth is walking in God's truth. What do you mean? There's only God's truth. 
Walking in the truth means we allow God to define what is true. So that means God defines what true love is. And we pursue that. That means God defines what is encouraging, what is wise, what is right. God defines what is hate, what is selfish, what is unwise, and what is wrong. We don't trust our heart. We trust his revelation. We trust his light, his word. And what that also means, make sure you catch this, is God then defines us. Defines us. I mean, we've heard it said, he's such a good guy. You know, he tries so hard. She's so humble. She's so innocent. Well, I'm better than those other people. You remember, it's just a a way to frame this. You remember the expression, you know, what would Jesus do? Remember that? Let me give you a a better way to say that. What does the Bible say? See, what would Jesus do can get interpreted by whatever you think he would do, right? But as we walk in the light, we realize God's revelation, he has made himself known, and we accept his definition of truth. When we walk in the truth, we do not deceive ourselves. Instead, we actively confess our sins, Because God defines us. And we know in his definition we are not good. We are broken. We are in need. We are dependent. And we don't just confess our sin in some fake transparency. But in gut-wrenching, active repentance. Constantly turning from the darkness toward the light. Our third Big idea, final big idea, Jesus' followers walk in his righteousness. John says, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Real Jesus followers walk solely in the righteousness of God. There is no illusion of them adding light to him. They trust in his righteousness. They place full hope in Jesus as their sacrificial substitute. That's what we mean, that cool big word, you know, propitiation my wife and I we walk around our house all the time and say we are bears of little brain and big words do not do well for us right propitiation it's a sacrificial substitute that recognizes the price Jesus paid so that we might be reconciled to him so if we say if we live as if we add something to our righteousness listen to what you do you proclaim God to be a liar Because God has said, you add nothing. My son Jesus is all of it. 
We reject the true gospel and we don't walk in his light. However, if we walk in his righteousness, if we walk in active repentance, knowing that everything that is me, that is separate from God, is darkness, and everything that has meaning, everything that has worth is in Jesus, we are constantly turning and running toward the light, walking in him. So as our team comes on up, I want to leave you with three takeaways. How do you respond to this? First, don't, church, don't be deceived. Walk in his light. Real Jesus followers seek his presence, not in perfection, but in pursuit. Not in your own work, but as a result of the work of him in you. Second, confess your sin. Walk in his truth. Allow his word to reveal who you are in light of who he is. Not who you just want to be. Not blinded in darkness. But get in the word and see how he has revealed himself and how he's revealed who you are. And confess the sin that is active in your life right now. Because we still sin. And if we say we don't, we don't walk in the light. We are still far from Christ's likeness. We are still influenced by the darkness. Third, live through repentance and faith. Walk in his righteousness. Real Jesus followers seek his transformative work. God is light, and darkness can have no place in his presence. Assurance of salvation isn't an event you try to remember. It's not. It's nowhere in Scripture. Assurance of salvation is a life of repentance as God is at work conforming you more and more into the image of Christ. Our light transforming us, pulling us more and more out of the darkness into his light. And I want to close with this as we, we go into a time of response. I would challenge those of you who are here and you look at your life and you realize the pursuit of your life is the darkness. I would challenge you. I would challenge you to wrestle with John's words. To consider, do you have an authentic relationship with Jesus? For those of you who see his work in your life and you are assured that your salvation rests solely in his righteousness, let me encourage you with one final word of hope. He has already promised to complete the work in you. 
the sin that entangles us, the darkness that still trips us up and causes us to stub our toe over and over again. He is faithful and he is just. And the work of Christ has already paid your righteousness. You have been declared righteous before God. You have been declared holy as Christ is holy through his account. And he is good. And the work in which he has begun to conform you into the image of his light, his son, it will be completed. He will glorify you. He will give you a new body. You will stand in the presence of God and not be consumed because of the blood of Jesus, not because of us. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, you are good. You are our redemption. You are our reconciliation. Lord, you are our propitiation. Father, I pray for those in this room who might be a poser. They might be deceived. Lord, I pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would reveal yourself to them. You would shine your light on them in such a way that in this moment they would be overpowered by the revelation of who you are and that they would turn in saving faith and run from the darkness into your light. Lord, I pray that right now where they sit in their own words, they would cry out to you and recognize that their sin has separated them from you that they're in their darkness, and that you love them so much that you've sent your son Jesus to die and to pay the penalty for them, and that through faith they cling to you as the hope of righteousness that can restore them and reconcile them and bring them back into your presence. Lord, I pray that you would do that work in them right now. And Father, for those of us who are here, who that is the work you have done, Lord, I pray that the testimony of your continued work would continue to lead us to repentance. Lord, it would not discourage us, but Lord, it would encourage us that you are doing a work in us that you will complete. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for the gospel. You are our light. You are our savior. In the name of your son Jesus, we pray. Amen. Church, would you stand? Would you sing?